Hi, welcome to another Tuesday Night Rheumatology here for Room Now. This is our big month of PMR, Make Room for PMR. And it's been, there's been a lot of uh, content that we've been pushing out on the Room Now website. There's a lot more to come. Uh, if I could show you the plans for what's coming this month, uh, I think you'd be overwhelmed. But we're just rolling it out week after week, going through all the interesting points in PMR. I think a disease which we, which we haven't um, traditionally had the opportunity to talk about much, but I think we need to make room for PMR, hence the slogan for our month. I'm David Liu. I'm a rheumatologist in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I am one of the editorial uh, staff for this month with my colleagues, uh, Dr. Sarah Mackey and Dr. Sebastian Satui. Uh, all been working very hard on that with um, Jack and the whole team. So thank you to all of them. Also, of course, thank you to our sponsor for the whole month, uh, Sanofi, who have really um, been, uh, have had no input at all into the content or anything that we're doing, but thank you for their support as well. So um, also thank you to the people who are joining us uh, live tonight and then also on the replay as well. I know that we have lots of people listen through it, to it throughout the week, throughout the month. So hello to you as well. For you, those of you who are joining us live, don't forget to ask questions, questions, questions. Uh, we're always keen to uh, have this discussion. I think when it comes to a discussion like today, which is gonna be on steroids and PMR, then I think everyone's uh, had experience and everyone's uh, had all sorts of positive, negative experiences. I think there's a lot of different ways in which people do things. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the questions that come through tonight. Before we go any further though, I am joined by an esteemed panel of three people here. So I'm gonna get them to introduce themselves, tell us where they're from, um, who they are, where they're from, and what makes them interested in this area. So I'm gonna start with you, Dr. Conway. Hi everyone, I'm Richard Conway, rheumatologist from Dublin, Ireland. Um, I have an active research interest in PMR um, and I run a rapid access PMR uh, clinic as well. Fantastic. Dr. Lally. Hi, I'm Lindsay Lally from New York, New York. Um, I similarly have uh, been involved in PMR research as well as, you know, an active clinical practice seeing lots of patients with PMR. Fantastic. Dr. Yates. Hello, I'm Max Yates. I'm based in Norwich in England in the United Kingdom. I'm an academic rheumatologist, again, with a clinical and research interest in polymyalgia rheumatica. So these are three of the, the top people in this area. I couldn't ask for a better panel to have this discussion tonight. Um, and actually, I think before we get stuck into it, and we've got the survey results that have come out from yesterday, they're very interesting, worthwhile having a look at. But I'd really love to hear some, some opening statements from everyone. If I can ask everyone really, um, sorry, and I've just got a message there, of course, Richard and Max get big kudos for calling in the middle of the night. It's midnight for you, Max, is that right? Yeah, wide awake, Max sticks, keeping your eyes open. Richard, it's, a, it's, a, it's similar, midnight, right? it's midnight, midnight right, as well, yep. Yeah. So thank you very much for staying awake for us. Uh, nice and nice and uh, sunny here in Melbourne, it's 10 a.m. So I can't, I've got no complaints whatsoever. But before we get stuck into it, opening statements, I'd really love to hear from everyone about the, perhaps there are bugbears in, uh, a lot goes right in steroids and PMR, a lot goes wrong. I think what's the one thing that makes you passionate? And I guess anger often makes people passionate rather than good things. What, what's, 
something that makes you passionate about this area, perhaps a bugbear, or maybe something really good about steroids and PMR. Um, Richard, I'll start with you. Well, I'll go with uh, controversial. I, I think PMR is one of our most mismanaged conditions in rheumatology, both in diagnosis, but also in the steroid management. And what my main bugbear is people being left on too much steroids and having multiple steroid side effects. And I think we can and should do better than that. How do you think this has happened, Richard? Because, I mean, it seems PMR is one of the few diseases where we just accept people being on long-term steroids. It's um, probably the rheumatic disease, which is most dependent, well, is the rheumatic disease that's most dependent on long-term steroids. Yeah, how did we get to this point? I, I think we have a, a window of opportunity at the start of PMR to do things right. And if that's missed and if the patient ends up stuck on whatever amount of steroids and starts getting side effects from that and starts having steroid withdrawal or flares every time they come down, it just turns up and turns into a vicious cycle. So I think the key really is doing things right from the start, having a proper plan and trying to get those steroids down, however difficult that may be. Fantastic. Lindsay, tell, tell me what makes you passionate about steroids and PMR? Um, I mean, I think we can all attest to how steroid responsive true PMR is, and it is one of those conditions where it's so rewarding as a physician when you see a patient who's been suffering for, you know, months and they, they step into your clinic and you know immediately this is polymyalgia and you know that, you know, you're writing that prescription and by the time, you know, tomorrow comes around, they're going to be feeling, you know, significantly better and that's when, you know, you get those phone calls about, how brilliant you are and how amazing you are. And, you know, that's the, the really rewarding part of PMR. And then I'll, you know, definitely dovetail back onto what Richard said, you know, and then we start getting into, you know, the phone calls about the, the high blood pressure and the sugar and I can't sleep and, and all of the steroid related um, complications. So I do think there's this very fine line um, between, you know, managing people appropriately and, and you know, using steroids um, smartly um, with these patients um, and then, you know, getting them off the steroids in a, in a responsible way. Um, you know, at a tertiary care center, I see patients who come in for second and third opinions on PMR and they've been on steroids for, you know, 10 years. And at that point, it's sort of like game over. Um, so I do think, you know, it's, it's our responsibility as rheumatologists to make sure, you know, we're making the, the diagnosis, you know, right up front. We're getting these patients on appropriate doses of steroids and then we're getting them off. I mean, it's so true that classic um, paradigm in PMR treatment where you, the, the, the best week is that first week. That's when you're the hero as a clinician. The, the patient will, you know, walk over hot coals for you, walk over broken glass for you. And then when you get to that 10 year mark, then, then what have you done to them? What have you done to them? So, yeah, I think that's clearly, uh, that, that I'm sure that resonates with everyone on the call. Uh, Max, you did your PhD in steroids and PMR, um, so you've got a long-standing interest in all of this. Worked on it plenty since then as well. Yeah, you know, what what makes you passionate about the area? Well, uh, I mean, it probably PMR treatment, you know, does vary by country around the world, and particularly within the United Kingdom, where we have a primary care and secondary care uh, kind of interface. Um, over seventy percent of people. Um, in the United Kingdom and managed exclusively in primary care. 
And I think we kind of do a disservice both to patients and to our primary care physician colleagues, I guess in the United States, to call them family practitioners, um, in terms of the amount of information that we give individuals. And often um, patients will start on steroids. Uh, there may be doubts about the diagnosis once we come to review them, but it's quite difficult to, to unpick that, um, particularly if it's 10 years down the line. But really, but often those, the, the patient and the family practitioner are kind of left trying to manage this. Um, and there's a dearth of information in terms of telling them precisely what, what they should be doing. And, uh, you know, often you hear patients being left essentially to manage their steroids themselves. Um, and yet they haven't had the education about, you know, the things to look for, the problems with steroid withdrawal and the flares that, that Richard uh, has kind of alighted on. Um, and I think that just leads to a whole load of problems. And um, so it's really kind of getting that education right. Um, and, you know, I think traditionally our guidelines haven't really helped. You know, they, they say that you can be off steroids after a year. We know, we know that's not true for the vast majority of, of patients. So, you know, it's kind of getting that education, supporting individuals, both the practitioners delivering care and also the patients. I mean, it is just so easy to write that script for for prednisolone or to write the script for steroids. And then um, all the hard work does come after, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, we do have some uh, survey results. We sent out a survey um, yesterday. And uh, thank you all for your response. I'm going to share my slides here. And so you should be able to see that there. PMR and steroids. So this went out. We've had one day out there, 299 responses and good uh, distribution across uh, the world, 57% from the US, but then uh, really representing practice from a number of different places across um, Europe, um, uh, South America, um, Asia and Australia, um, and, and a few other different places as well and amongst there as well. Really great to see that response. Let's have a look and see, though, like you said, Max, about how maybe in amongst all that, the responses um, have varied in this global, um, in this global uh, response. So the first question we asked people was, how often do you start a new PMR patient on 20 milligrams or more of prednisone? And as you can see there, um, so 58% uh, uh, said 10%, 8% uh, said 20%, and then, um, a, th a third of patients for 6% and then half for 26.5%. So um, I'm interested in knowing what the panel thinks about that. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about what people's uh, standard regimen for steroids and PMR is at the moment. Um, Max, maybe I'll, I'll go the reverse order. Max, what, what do you think about that? Does that surprise you at all? Uh, probably doesn't surprise me, but I can see a wry smile uh, creeping across, particularly Richard's face. And um, personally, for me, I think most of the time, it, probably more likely 90% of the time, 15 milligrams of prednisolone is often enough. Um, there are a few patients where you need to go higher than that, but I certainly wouldn't traditionally go for 20 or more. Um, I think that's probably a bit, bit heavy handed. Um, and 
the higher the dose, I think the, the more the problems you're going to end up with. Um, you also have problems of how quickly you're going to taper that. Um, often these patients are kind of left on a starting dose. Uh, it might be three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. Um, it depends on, on who's kind of started that and, and um, how judicious they are in terms of their follow-up and informing their patient what to do next. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite surprised that, you know, it, it looks quite heavy in terms of, of the dosage. Mm. Richard, was that a uh, right smile appropriately attributed there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with what Max has said. I think for the majority of patients, a PMR 15 milligrams will be enough. You start them on 20 milligrams when they don't need it. That's quite a significant extra amount of cumulative steroids. Um, as they get into their treatment. I also think that the, the 50 milligram dose, I like it as a, a diagnostic tool almost as well, that the higher you go, the more things are, that are going to respond to that dose. And if they respond really well to 15 milligrams, that at least in my mind kind of supports my clinical impression that PMR is what they have. Um, whereas if we're on 20, 25, I'm be surprised if if most conditions should respond to that. Uh, so Lindsay, I'm I've uh, Jack tells me that the responses were um, very similar between an international audience and a US audience. Do you think this reflects um, practice at the Hospital for Special Surgery or maybe more broadly across the United States? Um, I I think you know I I would rarely ever put a patient on more than twenty milligrams of of pregnancy zone if I was suspecting PMR. And I agree that then, you know, you start worrying, what are you masking or missing in terms of concurrent GCA or other diagnoses? So I think for the most part, a 15 milligram uh, is, is our standard. Um, I think in, you know, we want to always individualize to, to the patient sitting in front of us. So in a, in a patient who's much larger, maybe, you know, starting at the, at the 20 milligram dose, um, but I, I also think that this is um, somewhat surprising in terms of how many um, people are starting on 20 milligrams or more, because I, I think the or more is the more worrisome part there. Um, we often see patients who've gotten like a, a medral dose pack by some either internist or the orthopedist or, or someone. So they're even getting, you know, higher doses that usually, you know, is starting on a, you know, more than 30 milligram um, prednisone equivalent. They feel better than of course the five days ends and they're, you know, achy and, and sore again. Um, and so I do think there's a responsibility for education about, you know, appropriate doses early on um, because, it certainly matters down the line when you are trying to taper these patients. Absolutely. The higher you start, it's uh, the longer you have to come down. Um, so uh, there's a question actually, which I think is quite relevant to this. Um, we, I mean, I guess it comes to this idea of how do we know those patients who are going to need higher doses of steroids? Uh, the question in uh, from uh, Dr. Raluca uh, has asked about um, it relates to something that we talked about last week on Tuesday Night Rheumatology and that's been in the literature, I think, for the last 12, 18 months, about subclinical GCA and PMR. Some imaging studies have shown uh, that there's quite high rates of subclinical GCA and PMR, maybe 25 30%, maybe even more than that. Do you think that if that should or might um, be affecting the way that we dose prednisolone? And uh, 
So do you think that um, that's any justification for these higher doses, more than 15 milligrams to start with? Uh, anyone from, any, any thoughts from the group? I think the the sort of rationale, you know, at least in my in my mind, is if a patient doesn't respond as we would think to the the more moderate doses of prednisone, uh, then I do start looking for other um, issues, including you know more large vessel um, concurrent GCA. I think from a lot of the studies that have um, been reported, where you see this sort of occult or subclinical um, large vessel involvement in patients who are otherwise presenting with isolated polymyalgia. The problem is we don't really know the, the clinical um, outcomes of those patients. And so we don't really know if those patients do require higher doses of steroids or more prolonged courses of steroids, or if are, you know, at, at increased risk down the line for the, the aneurysmal changes and the other um, sequelae of GCA that we, you know, are so um, attuned to in our, in our sort of more classic GCA patients. Absolutely. It's very hard to know what those changes mean. Richard, do you, um, how much weight do you put on the subclinical changes? Do you think that this um, affects the course of PMR at all? I guess there's a lot that's unknown in this space. This is, these are relatively yeah. new insights. I think we don't really know that at the moment. And, and I agree with Lindsay completely. I, I think there's two different issues. There's, there's people who you think of PMR and they actually have GCA. And if you evaluate them properly you you would then come to the conclusion that they have gca and then there's this group who for all the world have pmr but you do an ultrasound maybe and, and they have some um auxiliary artery halo and it's not really sure what to do with that um and i think at the moment certainly my practice is to if they clinically seem like pmr treat them like pmr and absolutely keep an open mind see what happens down the line um, but I don't think we can justify really starting GCA doses of steroids for these patients. Mm -hmm. So Max, I might ask you, how many, uh, talk to me about the patients that we do need to escalate beyond 15 milligrams a day. Um, you know, I think we've established from this discussion here, we're all starting at 15 milligrams a day, see where that goes from there. Do we have a better sense as to who, um, needs who might end up being more likely to go to those higher doses? Do we have a sense as to why they might be th that might be the case? Um, well, I'm not sure everyone's kind of seen the patients. I mean, typically in, in, in the UK, we do the C-reactive protein and it can vary enormously. You know, somebody might only have a CRP of seven and a really good story for PMR. Other people might have a CRP in the hundreds. Um, and sometimes you think, well, it's going to be those people with a really high uh, CRP. They're the ones that are going to need a prolonged uh, kind of initial starting dose, whether that's 15. Instead of starting to re reduce that down after three or four weeks, you might think, well, I might need to continue that for, for six weeks based on their symptoms. Um, but it, also, I think it's important that we actually check the blood tests. Um, a lot of patients in the United Kingdom, um, they're giving a story of PMR to their family practitioner who's starting steroids and then not doing the blood tests. And then that makes things very, very difficult, um, A, in terms of confirming the diagnosis and B, in terms of looking at the response to treatment. So I think it is worthwhile, particularly somebody who has quite elevated high CRPs, checking a, a blood test again after a couple of weeks with your starting dose of steroids and 
assessing them and seeing how they're responding to um, the, the initial starting dose and how their symptoms are improving. And if they've still got residual symptoms, they've still got an elevated CRP, then you might need to think, well, I might need to push it up to 20 milligrams, but also being very careful that you're looking for other differential diagnoses and you're making sure that you're not missing something else. Absolutely. A bit like what Dr. Paget said last week, this is not, uh, well, be a doctor, be a doctor, doctor. But um, also I think it's really just important for us to remember this is not a set and forget disease. This is not the kind of thing where we can just tell people how their course is going to roll out um, at the beginning and then just uh, send them to the community. Um, well, maybe Max, I can ask you on that front in terms of your standard prednisolone weaning protocol. And I know there's variation. It's going to have a look at a little bit of that in a second. Um, what's your approach? Um, and knowing that there's going to be that variation. So, I mean, I've, I've in a way, because the, you know, the, the, the evidence isn't really there, I've, I've, I've kind of toyed around with different things with, in, in, in patients in a completely, you know, it's not really a scientific way um, of giving 15 milligrams for three weeks or four weeks or six weeks. And then seeing if you then come down to the 12 and a half for uh, three weeks or four weeks and then do your 10 milligrams at, at four or six weeks um, and seeing if that that kind of seems to have uh, any any major differences. But at the moment, you know, I, I can't really say that there, there are any differences. Of course, it's, it's, it's not a true trial in any sense, so it's very difficult to, to be able to do that. Other people have also written... Um, this dead stop slow regimen where they continue for 10 milligrams. I think it's for about three months. For me, that, that, that feels a bit too much. And I'd like to try and get people down um, on their steroids. And of course, if they're flaring, then you, you need to go back up again. But um, yeah, I'd, I think leaving people on certainly more than sort of 10 milligrams for more than six weeks you know, I think, think you're really going to start to run into problems. Um, they're going to get adrenal insufficiency. They're going to get steroid withdrawal anyway. They've probably got osteoarthritis. And then trying to unpick those three from actual true relapsing polymyodramatica, it becomes an almost impossible task, particularly, as, as Lindsay said, when you've got your patient who was diagnosed 10 years ago, you're then having to work incredibly hard to try and unpick that and really kind of support the patient, see them regularly um, and review them as soon as they start developing new symptoms or worsening symptoms, just to make sure that you're definitely on the right path. Absolutely. Well, perhaps on that note, I'm going to show, um, go forward a bit on the slides and show some of the guidelines. And I'd really like to get Richard and Lindsay's thoughts on, um, on these and, I guess I'd ask the question, uh, do we have it right? Are we going too fast? Are we going too slow? Is it really hard to say? So what have we got, got here? This is, these are the British Society of Rheumatology um, guidelines, BSR guidelines. And so just here on that left-hand side is, a, is the most relevant bit. So the BSR guidelines suggest prednisolone 15 for three weeks and 12.5 for three weeks then 10 milligrams for four to six weeks. And then once every, every four to eight weeks, a reduction by one milligram a day at the time or alternate day reductions. Um, and then the, plausible, the possibility of using IM prednisolone. 
Um, so this is that um, approach is, um, is similar in the um, in the discussion in the Yortla ACR um, provisional uh, classification criteria in the discussion. So that's uh, but different, nevertheless. Fifteen at the the predefined protocol in amongst um, the new diagnosis of PMRs was fifteen milligrams a day for weeks one to two for the first two weeks, twelve point five for the next two weeks, ten milligrams a day between weeks six to eleven. And then um, going down 10, seven and a half, seven and a half, and then going down beyond there, um, knowing that there's very good glucocorticoid responses. Um, and then if you look at the 2015 ULR ACR um, recommendations, uh, the, it's uh, firstly, of course, individualized protocol, but then um, I think we've got it here. So um, get down to 10 milligrams a day within four to eight weeks and then uh, decrease it gradually um, for when you have relapses and then further tapering from there. So I'm interested. That's obviously a lot of variation um, captured in uh, recommendations, official recommendations and guidelines from learned societies. Um, Lindsay, do you think that's too far? Have we, are we getting it too fast, too slow, or is it hard to say? Um, I mean, I think even just in what you just showed, there's variability. Um, so maybe too fast, maybe too slow, maybe just right. Um, I don't know Goldilocks, but, you know, I think I, I usually try to, you know, do that, that first step down after two or three weeks. And, you know, some patients who respond very quickly and are very eager to get off the steroids, you know, I do feel like they um, often push me to do a taper that maybe is, um, I know is a little too quick. And I know that somewhere, you know, we, we always, I always have the conversation with patients when I'm setting the, the expectations about, you know, the, the probable duration of steroids, but also, you know, that, that there's nothing written in stone and we can try to taper a little more quickly, um, but that is probably at the expense of having some flares, which is not the end of the world. We go up a little and then we come back down more slowly. Um, but I think, I think there has to be, you know, the conversation between the patients about, you know, that, that fine line between controlling disease and, and using too much steroid. Um, I, I typically try to get down to 10 milligrams, um, in the first month. And then, um, and then we'll go down by one milligram increments, you know, about every every four weeks, you know, making making adjustments as necessary. We're going to talk a little bit more about these this expectation setting. It's very uh, pertinent point, Richard. I know that you've got some uh, thoughts on whether this is too fast, too slow, or just right. What do you think? So I I think what, what we've already shown with with the variation in this and trying for us as rheumatologists who are interested in PMR, trying to read these guidelines and think through those dose changes in our heads it's it's very confusing for us and i think for patients who don't have our experience this it can be incredibly confusing and i see huge problems with the steroid regime that's given not being followed accurately for various reasons either mistakes are made in the labeling of from the pharmacy mistakes are made with the patients taking the steroids as directed so I relatively closely follow what the BSR guidelines say, but I take a more pragmatic approach to it and simplify it a bit. So in, in Ireland, our patients get a month supply from the pharmacy at any one time. 
So I try and utilize that and essentially give them the same dose for a month. I don't do anything at two or three weeks because I think it just gets too confusing. So I, I give them 15 for a month, 12.5 for a month, 10 for a month, and then down by one a month. And I, as well as the changing steroid doses, obviously with the different strength tablets, they're also changing that in the middle of that. So I, I think trying to do anything that isn't on the monthly basis where they have to do it themselves is just really asking for trouble. And then obviously we do adjust it and modulate it depending on flares or responses or other things. But I think as a simpler starting protocol that has served me well um, and led to reduced errors um, in the following that steroid regime. Mm. And there is something to be said for that simplicity, isn't there? I mean, just uh, I think trying to scrimp on some of these steroids at, at different points for the you know, four weeks versus a, a month. And that just makes it even more confusing. And all of a sudden patients are no longer more um, or higher exposures of steroids than we'd like. Well, let, let's have a look at this, uh, the next uh, survey question, which I think is pertinent to all of that. So we asked um, in the survey, how long will a patient be on steroids? Uh, um, what do you tell the patient? Um, and I guess we've kept these questions that when, when Jack sends out these surveys, we're deliberately making a little bit vague. We want to see um, how people uh, respond. And I think it's important to see some of the variation that occurs. Um, so what have we got here? Well, um, uh, so 34% told, uh, said one, one, uh, one year of steroids, uh, 22 said two years, um, and then 40% said variable as well. So. Um, maybe I can ask the group, are we surprised by that? What do we tell patients? Um, yeah, any any thoughts on whether we should be communicating differently with patients? I mean, Lindsay, you kind of talked a bit about that expectation setting. Um, what do you tell patients about how long we should have patients in steroids for? Yeah, I, I usually tell patients to um, expect that it's going to be at least a year. Um, and if we can get them off more quickly, great. And if it runs into, you know, sort of cite some of the data, you know, about, about two or three years being the, the mean duration of steroids. And, you know, I, I can, I, I do tend to talk to my patients about some of the reasons that I think people end up on steroids for too long, um, you know, including sort of hopping back up whenever they have an ache or pain, not being able to discriminate um, between the, the arthritic shoulder and the, um, and the PMR flare, or, you know, every time the, the CRP or the SED rate, you know, tips up a point going back up. Um, and so I, I do think, you know, some of our patients end up on, you know, inappropriately long um, courses of steroids or that they're managing it on their own and not seeing, um, you know, seeing us regularly to, to help make sure that they're, they're getting down. But I think a year is, um, is sort of what I, what I tell most of my, um, patients to expect. And as we approach that year, if they're, um, you know, still struggling, getting below five milligrams, I, I still encourage them that this is, you know, what, what is expected and, um, and, you know, that the finish line is still, um, is still gonna, we're still gonna reach the finish line eventually. Uh, it's hard to be able to set expectations realistically, but with a sufficient ambition in them, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't know. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I 
refer to the to the fact that I left my crystal ball at home, but this is what I would uh would anticipate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of yeah, reflecting that uncertainty to, to our patients is important. Um, Max, I think that uh, well, I mean, this is something that you've looked at in the variability. Do you think that um, there are? How should we be communicating this to patients? How should we be expectations? Well, and, you know, I, I start off by telling patients that you know, um, observational data of prescriptions for for steroids both in the United Kingdom and actually around the world shows that the median duration, so half of patients will be on steroids for two years. Um, now, some people invariably are gonna be able to come off faster than that. I've had patients who really wanted to come off steroids and come off after a few months inside under under a year. Um, but most people it's, it's going to be one to two years for, for half. And that means of course, uh, half of people are going to be on steroids for longer than two years. And the further you get out from that, the more difficult it is for those, those people to be able to come off steroids um, because of problems with adrenal insufficiency. Um, but, you know, word of warning there is that it, it doesn't necessarily always affect your patient who's been referred to you, who's had steroids for 10 years. It can develop relatively rapidly um, I've certainly seen patients who have uh, adrenal insufficiency who have only been on their steroids for 18 months. So, you know, it is something that I think we should be looking out for um, regularly um, in our patients. Absolutely. Okay, well, maybe um, kind of on that point, um, I think there's a little bit about the, in terms of, I think this question was really trying to get an idea about um, how we go about trying to wean, uh, well, between how much stability we need before we try and, and start to wean um, our prednisone. I think you can see there's a lot of variability there. Um, Richard, let me ask you, and I think this probably varies a little bit from the survey question. How, um, how long do you have someone on a stable dose of prednisone before you drop them down? Are we going with the one month thing because that makes a lot of sense. Have we ever attempted to go faster than that or or slower than that? Yeah, I, I go with the one month thing. Um, it provided their intermission. I, I generally don't, I don't worry too much about what the said rate or CRP are once they're in remission. I, I still generally try and reduce it, bearing in mind that, that there might be a higher chance of relapse if, if we do it with a still elevated CRP. Um, but if they're clinically in remission, I, I'll still pursue that. I don't think we have great data to support the one month thing or, or to, to refute it either. Um, so, so as I said, I, I do that because it's simple. Um, I think we need better studies to look at this to see if, if some other speed of reducing is better. I mean, um, and overall, I think this, this, the answers to this question are very, uh, very scary. I, I like they're almost insane. We have people saying they want people in remission and a normal ESR for six months or a year before they even try tapering the steroids. That's that's I, I can't understand that at all. And I guess it's uh, clearly it varies on the stage of the disease, but and I, I wonder whether I think some people were wondering about the um, 
when people are at stability on lower doses and trying to reduce it down. But still then, I mean, the fact that we are basically tolerating keeping people on a standard dose and that's routine practice, I think is um, probably unlike a lot of other diseases in, rheum in rheumatology, perhaps any other diseases. Um, Lindsay, Max, any kind of other thoughts on whether um, how much, how, how uh, strongly we should wait, we should um, ensure that there's remission or wait for remission before trying to wean to the next dose of prednisone? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I think it's a matter of weeks. Um, you know, the seeing the patient clinically um, doing well before you you drop down to the to the next step. So I think when we start talking about months and years, um, I would agree with Richard. It doesn't really, um, you know, go with what I think we do clinic clinically. So maybe there was. Um, some, you know, misinterpretation of, of this, because I can't imagine people really waiting for a year before uh, stepping down the steroids. We don't do that with any of our uh, rheumatic diseases. Absolutely. Now keep the questions coming through on the, on the live ones. We've got a few there, which we will definitely get to, um, but please keep them coming. Um, so maybe I think relevant to that question, which is I think something that got alluded to there um, uh, by Richard, was really about um, trying to figure out, I think if, if remission is one side of things and we're relying on symptoms, how do we go with, how do we go about detecting flares and how do we deal with flares knowing as well, sometimes people do get this glucocoid, glucocorticoid withdrawal syndrome. They do get um, these uh, aches and pains which aren't inflammatory and aren't overt adrenal insufficient, tertiary adrenal insufficiency. Um, how do we navigate that? So I think Max, you brought this up first. How do you get through that in clinical practice? I um, mean, really, it's asking the patient in terms of what those symptoms are um, and checking with them that are they similar to when they first had their PMR? Is it affecting their shoulders and their hips? Is it is it stiffness that is you know dependent on activity in terms of the more they try and reach in terms of the extremes of movement, the worse it is in terms of the stiffness and the pain? Or are they actually saying, well, oh, no, I develop back pain or I've got a pain in my foot. Um, because a lot of the time, I think, you know, patients sometimes have got into this uh, cycle where they think that any, as, as Richard said, any, um, any symptom that they've got is due to their PMR um, and they just bump their steroids up. So it's really about trying to clarify what, what do they actually mean by those symptoms. Um, and of course, you know, the adrenal insufficiency and uh, steroid withdrawal syndrome, uh, that kind of general malaise, um, not feeling quite right, you know, bit out of sorts, that, that probably isn't enough to say, you know, that's going to be their PMR coming back. Um, so it's, it's just making sure that you're checking with your patients, making sure that you're educating them about all the potential sort of differentials it could be. And it's worthwhile stating that um, you don't always necessarily have to increase the steroid dose. You might want to pause and wait and see um, maybe one to two weeks and see if it will go away before um, making a decision about what you're doing with the steroids. Um, because that, you know, not increasing or decreasing is, is still um, taking a, a, a decision in terms of their management. 
Yeah, I'm Richard, Lindsay, do, you, do either of you have kind of thoughts on how you talk to patients about, um, do, do either of you talk to patients um, uh, proactively about how to manage those, um, that steroid withdrawal syndrome, about how to, about what a flare might be versus not, or do you wait for that kind of thing to happen and deal with it um, once it occurs? Richard. I try to be, oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. Lindsay, go, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I agree with Max. I try to be proactive in talking to the patients and sort of, especially as we're getting to those sub, you know, seven milligram type doses that, you know, with each step down, you may feel a little achy and just generally blah for, you know, the first few days. If it lasts more than a few days, let me know, but please don't go up on your steroids before, you know, communicating with me so we can really, you know, figure out if this is, a steroid withdrawal, if this is a true flare, if something else is going on, um, you know, even, even now with viral infections, COVID, non-COVID, you know, patients want to, you know, the minute they start to, to ache or not quite feel right they're you know, they're blaming their PMR and, and if they, you know, could, they would, you know, jump back up on the steroids. And I think, um, you know, sort of encouraging um, an open dialogue and educating the patients um, really helps to prevent, you know, a lot of that yo-yoing. Absolutely. I'm interested, in, we've got a question here from Dr. Mitu who uh, asks about the role of NSAIDs into assist with dose reduction of prednisone. And I guess this idea that maybe if there are some arthralgias and myalgias, they're not overtly inflammatory, um, and it's about trying to navigate the symptoms. Um, what do we think about that? Um, Richard, what do you think about NSAID? Is that something, A, that you use, and B, what do you think about it more broadly? Yeah, it's not something I generally use for PMR symptoms. Um, I suppose it, you could consider it for osteoarthritis symptoms that are re-emerging as the steroids come down, which, which often does happen. It, it always makes me a little bit uncomfortable, however, having... NSAIDs and steroids going into somebody at the same time and the potential side effect um, profile of that. So it's something I would very rarely do. I would generally choose to do something else, whatever that may be, whether injecting an osteoarthritic joint um, or if, if their PMR really is flaring again, then I think they either need temporarily more steroid or they need a more targeted disease modifying or biologic agent. We really uh, would benefit from better biomarkers and better ways of picking up flares, wouldn't we? Especially ones that are maybe less, um, which are less uh, um, IL-6 dependent, maybe could uh, might be less affected directly by treatment might represent that inflammation. I think that's um, in the scope for the future. Let me just move to the next slide because I think we've got some more discussion and I think we can come back a little bit to about what the future of steroid might be. Um, so getting to these flares between 5 to 7.5, like Lindsay was talking about, what, what do we do to respond to those flares? Are we going up? Um, how much are we going up? And so in amongst the options here, and I think we force people's hand a little bit with multiple choice, I'm sure that there would be 20 answers if we could give people a short answer a response but 64 so between 5 to 7.5 if there's a flare then 64 said increase to 10 percent um 30 percent said add an, a steroid tapering drug uh and then some much smaller percentages said double the dose and then backed all the way to 15. um 
Lindsay, how do you tend to respond when, you know, you get, especially when you get into those below 7.5 uh, flares, how much are you going up by? Are you going back up to 10? Are you going up by a milligram? Are you waiting it out a little bit? How do you respond? Yeah, I mean, I think it really does depend. So I would probably have, you know, voted for uh, for none of the above on this one. But I, I do think for the most part, I usually try to increase by one or two milligrams um, and, and see how the, how the patient responds. Um, and if they get better, um, great. And if they're still achy, you know, then get back up to 10. I think it's very, very rare that I go all the way back up to, um, to 15 once a patient has gotten, um, you know, down to these um, low doses. And I guess I would say, you know, with regard to adding a steroid sparing drug, I think it depends, you know, how many times you've been through this cycle and what the other toxicities the patient has developed are. So if I can't get a patient below 7.5 milligrams and I've tried and I've tried all the head fakes, switching to a different formulation, maybe, you know, dividing the dose, any of those sort of things that are not in the guidelines, but I think clinically we all have our little tricks that sometimes can be helpful. Um, you know, then I will, you know, start thinking about if, if another agent is, um, is necessary, but I, I definitely give patients a couple of tries, you know, to, to get down, um, at this level when they flare. And I'm usually pretty conservative with how much, um, I increase to, to try to recapture the, the symptoms. Absolutely. Well, um, Richard, I just want to ask you here, we've got some more questions flowing in. Um, so what about the, we talked about injecting osteoarthritic joints. What about um, shoulder and hip injections to complement oral steroids and taper or in lieu of oral steroids when oral not tolerated? And I think this is probably more about when we think there might be a bit of an, an inflammatory component. We know subacromial bursitis, trochanteric bursitis may well be components of, um, well, they certainly are involved in active PMR. There's inflammation there at those sites. Um, is there a role for um, steroid injections at those sites to try and dampen down some of the inflammatory features of PMR? It's a tricky question. And, and again, I'm not sure we know the answer. I, I do it a lot for non-inflammatory or non-PMR related stuff. So rotator cuff tendinopathies, gluteal tendinopathies that are emerging um, and worsened by the oral steroids as we're coming down. I think I occasionally do it for things I think really are PMR. It, it does work in that it provides at least temporary symptomatic relief. My concern with it more is that, that in the longer term, it's not actually helping us get to an end point, that it, it'll work for a few months, but then it'll just come back because we've persisted in reducing the steroids. We haven't really correctly addressed the underlying um, disease pathogenesis by trying to suppress it more fully um, with an immunosuppressive, whether that be steroids or something else systemically. Um, so yeah, I do it, uh, but mainly for mechanical stuff. Well, I guess, yeah, this is this idea that PMR is a, is a systemic disease. If there are focal points of inflammation, that it does, um, has to be dealt with like that. More questions here, and I'm gonna try and fire through some of these. Max, I might ask you a little bit about this um, question here. When we get our patients into the two or three milligram, it's from anonymous, by the way, when we get our patients into the two to three milligram dose range after, let's say, a year, how much adrenal suppression actually exists? I'm interested in your thoughts on this. 
Well, a tricky one, that one, isn't it? Because I'm yes, not sure anyone one can give you a precise uh, estimate for the number of people that actually have adrenal insufficiency. Um, but it, you know, it's going to be some people. Uh, by the time we got to two or three, I mean, you you hope that you're you're on the the the, the end to the finish there, really. Um, often it's it's people who are still kind of flirting around five, six, seven, something like that. By the time you get into two and three, you're usually um, going to be okay. But of course, there are going to be some people where they, 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 they can't. But really what, what, I, what I do is that once the patient has, been, have, has come down to five milligrams of oral prednisolone, I get them to do a 9 a.m. cortisol on, uh, uh, during the morning, of course, at 9 a.m., uh, without taking that day's dose of steroid until they've had their blood drawn, and then they can take their, their dose of steroid. And then based on that, you, you might need to do a short synaptine test or you might actually have confirmed adrenal insufficiency, in which case it's going to be you know, virtually impossible, particularly in the shorter term, for them to come off their steroids. They need to be educated about sick day rules and all of those sorts of things and have a steroid card, register with emergency services and, and et cetera. Um, but, you know, when I was at medical school, the physiological dose of prednisolone was 7.5 milligrams. It's now come down to five. There was a paper, I think, about six months ago that said actually it's somewhere between three to five, depending on the individual. Um, so yeah, it, it's still a moving beast to to try and tra try and track down really and tackle. Mm -hmm. So I'm. Uh, we've got a couple more survey questions, but I um, and I do want to talk a bit about uh, preventative measures. But before we go on to that, I just want to ask. Um, the group, do we ever get, do we ever feel like it's acceptable to get stuck on a dose of steroid? I think we have these patients who say they're at maybe four, five, six milligrams, and every time they go down, they seem to get a recurrence of relatively convincing symptoms. Um, how do we find, do we find that acceptable? And I guess, um, you know, has that answer changed in recent times now that we've got potentially options, therapeutic options? Um, Richard, let me ask you first. Absolutely. It happens all the time that, that patients will get stuck on a certain amount of steroid. And I think traditionally, we, because of a lack of other options which have proven to be effective, we often accepted doses of certainly five milligrams or less. Some people would have accepted even slightly higher than that, but that always made me um, a bit uncomfortable. I think it probably should be changing, or at least we should be reconsidering it now that we have clearly proven effective agents in interleukin-6 inhibitors that maybe that would be preferable to be to staying on five milligrams of prednisolone. I think it's something that really needs to be discussed with the patient as well, because you, you are weighing up two different options, a little bit of long-term steroid against a, a weekly injection, um, potentially forever, and, and which of those um, their preferences. Now, Lindsay, I remember... Um a few years ago, and probably more than a few years ago, re reading your phase 2 way uh, study of tocilizumab in ANR and thinking, oh, that's a neat piece of work there. That's very interesting. And now, of course, we've got the SAFA study, which came out last week. Also, I mean, uh, obviously on a very different scale, but now we've, we've got these IL-6 um, targeting options. 
Um, what do you, when, what kind of dose of prednisolone would you have to be stuck on, do you think, to justify in your mind, in your practice, and then maybe where we might go, um, what kind of dose would, would warrant looking at a medicine like cerilumab or fentanyl other parts of the world, tocilizumab? Yeah, I mean, I think I've, you know, for, for a long time, you know, believe that IL-6 inhibitors, you know, certainly have a role in, you know, at least management of some of our PMR patients. And, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that we now have, you know, more uh, definitive data and, you know, regulatory approval to, uh, to at least try to use some of these therapies. In, you know, my mind, I will again sort of defer to the patient sitting in front of me. And so, you know, it really does depend on, you know, what other comorbidities the patient has developed um, and, and what we're juggling. But really, if a patient, you know, my, five milligrams is sort of my, um, you know, my marker that if I can't, you know, if a patient is on five or less, then I'm usually pretty comfortable keeping them on the, on the prednisone, you know, for longer periods of time. But if they're really having a hard time getting, um, you know, to that five milligram mark, um, I think there, it certainly at least warrants discussion about alternative agents. And, you know, I certainly agree, you know, there are risks associated with um, IL-6 inhibitors, and we certainly have to have these informed conversations with our patients. But um, I definitely think that, you know, there's going to be, you know, increasing conversations in my clinic, you know, in, in those patients where, you know, they're between that, that five and 10 over and over again, and you sort of feel like it's, um, it keeps being Groundhog's Day. Absolutely. Um, I, I do want to get on to vitamin D and calcium, very, um, but and we're going to talk about new therapeutics next week, but had a few questions about methotrexate, other agents. Max, I might ask you first, methotrexate in, in this situation, what's, what's your answer to that? What kind of dose of prednisolone um, have, you, you, have you thought about using methotrexate in in the past? Is there still going to be a role going forward for methotrexate? Uh, potentially, um, we're, we're doing a, a clinical trial where we're giving methotrexate um, to people who are relapsing with their PMR. In terms of what dose, I mean, with methotrexate, I think it's probably a, a bit safer, potentially, um, than, than biologic agents. You know, you know that, that might be a controversial thing to say, but um, uh, I think it kind of depends on the patient, really. If, they're, if, they're, if you've got a patient who's adamant they want to come off steroids they've not got adrenal uh, insufficiency to warrant being on long-term steroid and i think we should do everything we can to try and assist that patient to be able to come off their steroids um, so if that means that you're having to use methotrexate or lunamide and they're only on three milligrams of, of prednisolone then as long as you've had that discussion with them up front and you've informed them i think then that's a, a reasonable thing to try and do Richard, let me ask you, with some other mechanisms of action that might come through, JAK inhibitors, for example, do you think that, um, do you think that, that threshold might change in terms of what dose of prednisolone would trigger off the introduction of a steroid-sparing agent? I'm not sure it will. I mean, I think JAK inhibitors are, they've got to work because they're going to inhibit IL-6. So um, they are going to work like they... Jack inhibitors potentially have more uh, side effects, um, especially in this sort of patient population than an IL-6 agent uh, would. Um, so I think if anything, the threshold for starting a Jack, if an IL-6 has failed, would be would be higher. 
Um, but I think there's lots of lots of promising um, agents out there, um, IL-17 inhibitors as well, um, being looked at. And so, yeah, the future is bright for PMR, I think. It is, it is. Now, I want to put up one of the last survey questions here before, oh, sorry, uh, before um, I, I ask a bigger, broader question at the end. Um, so new PMR patients studying prednisone, do you start calcium and vitamin D? Um, and we had big responses, 68% said they start all patients on calcium and vitamin D, um, and then smaller proportions for more target in more targeted ways. Um, Lindsay, I might just ask you, or I might actually just ask a group and whoever feels passionately about this, do you think that we're um, sufficiently managing complications in advance of them happening for for prednisolone and uh, and PMR for prednisone and PMR? Um, I don't know if I feel passionately about this, and I do think we've done a better job, um, you know, than than maybe we used to um, historically. But I, I still certainly think that, you know, where there are, there are definitely patients who are, you know, losing significant amount of uh, vertebral bone density in the first few months. And, you know, we may not be, I sometimes, you know, you, I give them the order for the, for the decks and tell them to take vitamin D, but, um, you know, may not be as, as aggressive with um, anti-resorptive agents. You know, I think we still see, um, patients with hypertension, with, you know, new onset diabetes, even at these more moderate um, doses. So um, I, I think we're, as a, you know, rheumatologist in general, I think we're much more aware and, and proactive, um, but that often, you know, means giving patients, you know, six prescriptions, you know, walking out the door so they can take the, the prednisone and that um, can sometimes be a tough sell. Absolutely. Max, can I just ask you, what do, in terms of the UK data, do you think that we're doing okay in terms of prevention or are we lacking? Oh, no, it's going to be atrocious, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, people have looked at all prescriptions of steroid, irrespective of indication. And I think, you know, co-prescription, whether that's thinking about uh, gastric protection with a PPI inhibitor, uh, whether that's bone protection, whether you're just using ADCAL uh, or whether you're going forward and giving them bisphosphonates, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very low, very low. Yeah. I think it brings me on to kind of the broader big question, which uh, relates to a question that Dr. DeQuitz got in the, uh, in the Q&A. And I might ask Richard first, but I'll ask all three of you. It's really... Therapeutics are changing quickly in this space. We have changed quickly in this space. Now we've got the FDA approval for, um, for cerilumab, uh, for PMR. There's potentially other agents that may, may well be on the way in the future. And we're clearly not doing as well as we should do as far as steroid management, steroid, uh, prevention of steroid-related morbidity um, is concerned. Is now the time for new recommendations? What should we be doing about this more broadly? Richard, what do you think? I think it is. I think we need updated recommendations um, in line with the emerging uh, data that's coming along. And I think recommendations are great and important, and we need those as our baseline. But I think we, we also need to be more fluid in, in what we're doing. We, can, we can't always be waiting for the recommendations uh, to catch up that process because of the nature of it always takes time. It can't be be constantly updated, at least with the current methodology. 
Um, so I think we need to be um, a little bit more proactive and not, we can use the guidelines as a starting point, but we need to be interpreting the, the new data ourselves as well and incorporating that in our clinical practice. Certainly. Lindsay, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Richard 100%. I think certainly we need new guidelines. We have, you know, new therapies, emerging data, you know, even though, even with current guidelines, it looks like, you know, if we go by this survey, lots of steroids are being used in high doses, even up front. Um, and, you know, getting these patients into the, you know, rheumatology office as, you know, quickly as possible, and then having, you know, our ability to follow them um, through, I think, is is really crucial. Uh, Max, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm co-chairing the update for the British guidelines. Um, so the uh, systematic literature review is due to start in February. So we'll have some new trials to look at, which is going to be great. Well, it sounds like with all the action that's going on, now's the time for us to take some action. I'm glad that we've had this international panel here today because I think clearly we're going to need better approaches. Now's the time to act. And uh, without sounding too corny about this, maybe now is time to make room for PMR. Um, so on that note, we've run a little uh, two minutes over time, but thank you everyone for sticking around. Thank you for all of you who've been listening to uh, for sticking in there. Thank you to uh, our three panelists tonight, Drs. Conway, Lally and Yates for their enormous insight. And then next week, we've got steroid sparing therapy uh, that uh, Dr. Sebastian Satui will be leading a very interesting discussion on. So don't miss that. That's next Tuesday night rheumatology. Thank you so much, everyone, for dialing in. <laughs>